You're listening to MOG Channel. Hi guys, welcome to my podcast. This is MOG Channel where we help you to see real and practical Christianity from God's Word. If you're new here, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12 from verse 13. Like it's going to be one of those text by text expositions. And I have said before that this is one of my favorite, if not favorite ways to explain the Bible because I mean... It's already there. You just have to study it and bring out the interpretation. And so line by line explanation of the word is actually what we call teaching. Explaining the verses from the Bible. Not bringing your own ideas in, but just explaining them. Now, as you're explaining them, you can use examples. You can broaden them. You can, you know, get into them. But then it's just a discipline. And for this, I mean, for you to do this, you must also be someone who is reading it consistently. I mean, some people read the Bible without thinking about what they are reading. But when you are reading it, you should be thinking. And one of the things that really help to think is to pay attention to details and to also observe the law of context, right? Pay attention to details, little details. Not that was you look, oh, why did he say that? You should be asking yourself questions. Okay, he said this, then he said this in the other verse. So why did he say those? You know, there's questions you should be asking. Okay, who was in this place? What were they thinking when he said it, Right? Um, what would their reaction have been? How did the setting or location of the place affect what he said? Like, you should be having a wholesome picture in your head and that's where context now begins to come in. And now context can mean different things. I mean, there's the context of where they were, right? Where they were, um, the time, the people and all that. But there's also just the context of text itself, which is you're reading this thing. For example, we're talking about reading from verse 13 that's 12 verse 13 but the truth is that there are things that he probably said earlier that affect it there are things that he will say after that will affect it so we don't just read in isolation okay we consider the verses before and after we consider all those things as we are studying it will really give you a rich understanding of god's word i think that my liberation in god's word came when i realized that it doesn't take one mog to look in the word of god and know what he says it doesn't take an mog I think that was where my liberation, you know, came from. Because I used to think, oh, this word of God is so mysterious and there's just so many mysteries and revelations inside there that you just have to, you know, soak in the spirit and let the spirit reveal it to you and all those kind of things. You get, you have to go deep. You have to pray and fast and all that before God opens your eyes to the scriptures and everything. But I, I got to understand that's not true, actually. That there's just rules of how to study your Bible. There are rules and laws. Simple. If you understand the rules, for example, and there are simple rules that apply to other literary texts, honestly. They apply to other texts of literature, at least most of the rules. They are like grammar, right? Tenses, okay? Um, context. And there are other things. And just a few other things you should understand. Aside from those things, you know, there's not really much more to actually go for. You get my point. And now, there's also the place, of course, of the Bible, of the Holy Ghost, opening your eyes to the Scriptures. But let me even say what he will do. The Holy Ghost will point your attention to what is already there. He won't invent. He won't say, hmm, you see this word, um, let me say inheritance. He will not say there is an inheritance in the Spirit that only a few people can possess. Now, 
him saying that in the context of what you are reading, it doesn't make sense. Do you get my point? Now, maybe he can talk to you along the lines of inheritance. I'll just talk to you about it generally. Do you get my point? But whatever he's saying, if it's an explanation of what you're looking at, it should tally. It should tally sensibly. It should tally logically. Do you get my point? God, as uh, you know, despite what many people think, God is not going to bypass logic because of you know, trying to explain his word. It's not going to become illogical. No, his word is very logical. I was telling some people, I said, look, that God is a very logical being. Very, In fact, God invented logic and God himself submits himself to the laws of logic. At least when it comes to the material universe, he submits himself to it. That's why you can actually logically comprehend that there is a God. The Bible says that that we know, we can know him by the things that were made so that no man is without excuse. I'm talking about Romans chapter 1. Yes, so through the things that are made, he made things of the manner that you can logically conclude when you look at how organized, how orderly, and how tuned the universe is, and how just everything fits together, and we are the centerpiece of that creation. You cannot, you know, consider it. So it is only consistent to believe that God's laws of logic just follow through even to scriptures. He doesn't throw away logic with scriptures. You can logically, let me say this, an unbeliever can read the Bible and understand it. It's just that he probably will not appreciate it. He won't, it doesn't make sense to him. He's not, he's not in that life. Do you get? But he should be able to read it the way every other person should. So you don't need the Holy Spirit to open it up to you in any way. No. It's just that he will probably, his, what he does is that he can guide us. In other words, he can bring our attention. Did you notice that verse? Did you notice that, you know, this is where you read this and and if you remember the other text you read, if you look at them t- together, this is probably what they are saying. You know, he's going to bring your attention to things that way. So the Bible should not be an intimidating book. Anybody can read it. Anyone can read it. There are just a few other things you may have to understand, which maybe with, okay, this year we're actually having a word, uh, a word camp or something like that. So anyone who signs up for that will go into more details concerning that all right so let's now move on to what we are you know sharing so luke chapter 12 verse 13 then one from the crowd said to him teacher right tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me okay so he wants his brother to share apparently who knows maybe the father left everything to the brother and the brother said i'm not sharing with you or whatever Asha. but he says Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or an arbitrator over you? Or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed or be careful and beware of what? Covetousness. Right? Covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. You see, you don't just read this and pass. You have to break it down. Like, okay, wait. Imagine the scenario. Okay, so Jesus is teaching. A whole crowd and one man shouts from the crowd said uh teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me and he says i'm not your ruler i'm not your judge who who made i'm not the one who's supposed to do that for you and he said in fact be careful and beware of what covetousness right we know it's one of the laws of moses it says do not covet your neighbor's um donkey or his ass or even his wife in other words for him to put wife <laughs> there, I think it gives us a better understanding of covetousness. Because covet would mean to have to desire what someone else has, to yearn to possess, you know, something belonging to another. All right. So 
I you want it so badly. Like I mean, it's not yours, but there's just this desire to possess that one. Now it's not a case. Let me even say this. This is not even a case of. Or you see your neighbor's car and say, oh, that's a very nice car. I'd like to have something like that one day. No. This is a case of, I want my neighbor's car. The one that he has, I want his own. That covetousness is, I, that's, I want his own. You get to yearn for someone. That's actually what they call it, covetousness. To yearn for someone else's thing. I mean, for example, your neighbor's wife is your neighbor's wife. She, is, she belongs to him. There's no way in this life you can have her. So, it's not like you look at her and say, ah, I, w- I really would love to get married on these days. Uh-uh. It's that you want her. It's her you want. That is what we call covetousness. So, it says, beware of what? Covetousness. So, if we're going to use that term, we can probably say that it's, or be, we can safely say that the inheritance belongs to the brother. The father probably did not leave anything for him. Or maybe the father left not much for him, but more to the brother. It says, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me okay and just beware of what covetousness you know beware of desiring what belongs to others okay he now tells us next i says for one's life does not consist in the what abundance of things that he possesses so in other words your life is not about things your life or you don't you are not more valuable because you have more things one's life does not what consist and the word consist in that text, funny enough, actually means to be. In other words, an identity. So, your life is not based on, or you don't get your identity from things. You, We don't identify you, or you don't find your sense of worth from what you have. And, you know, this is actually very instructive because today, let's look at it. A lot of us actually get our sense of identity from the things that we have. Now, when we say things we have, right? And he talks about covetousness. It's not just about material. Oh, we say material things. It's not just about, like, say, money, cars, houses, clothes. But things like marriage, for example. A lot of people find their identity from marriage. And therefore, when they are not married, they are nothing. Valentine's Day just passed yesterday, right? And I'm so sure there are people who felt very, very bad. Even with all the... I know there are lots of memes out there now that talk about, oh, it's just me and my chocolate or me and my whatever. Me and my love, I'm loving myself and all that. You know, many of those things that they say actually are just on the surface. But there are many of them who deep down, they just wrote it there to look strong to the public. But deep down, they actually feel horrible. They feel bad. They feel depressed because they're not in a relationship. Why? Because their lives consist in the abundance of things they possess. Their lives are actually governed or their value to them. Their value to themselves and their perceived value to people is in um, what they possess. And it's actually, you know, in society, it's actually true that... There are people that, for example, will seem to just rate you more highly because you're married. I don't know why people do that nonsense, but I mean, you get, they will just, oh, yeah, yeah, they respect you more as a, but as a woman because you're married. But in Christ, you know, Bible tells us clearly that, you know, it's actually in Christ we get our value. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works. While his workmanship, we, are, we only, God is the one that made us, therefore our value comes from him. And that's how it works, you see? But God tells us here, or Jesus, you know, basically says that your life should not what consists should not be about the things you possess all right some people could be money they feel miserable because there's no money in their account they have nothing some people is not you don't have land you don't have a car you don't have whatever let me say this how do you know if you really value um if your value really comes from god take away everything like really sit down and mentally take away every single thing that you have every single thing that your value could come from whether it's money houses cars 
even your parents. Some people with their parents' name that they are getting value from. It could even be your church. It could be your church. It could be you know the fact that you are serving God, right? It could be your ministry, because that's something I also discovered <laughs> that it could be ministry. There are times I've probably felt like that. You know, you you your value seems to come from the fact that you have a ministry and there are people there and all that stuff. You know, so let me say this: ministers are not immune to these things. Everybody is a Christian first of all. Is a minister. Everyone will have to actually sit down and grow himself in the Word, regardless of whether I'm a minister or not. So the question is, what is your value system? Where does your value come from? Your man's life does not what consist. It is not about. He doesn't derive his identity from the things that he possesses. Some people is children, fruit of the womb. I don't have a child. You know, you want to die because of that. You get a point, like. Or some people, is even their grades. I know people who boast about their grades because I have better grades. You know, they... they, And that's why such people cannot carry last, though, because their identity, their value comes from those grades. So you can't touch... That is, they will fight tooth and nail to make sure that they are still first in class. Not because they really value education or value the knowledge that they are getting. No, it's because I am first in class. That's what makes me better. Right? And we're all, always looking for that one thing that we can hold on to that gives us value. Uh, because I can do this. Because I have this. Uh, I'm valuable. You understand? Some people, it's, it's a relationship, as I said before. You know, I mean, I, I was in that trap years ago. I, I felt like I was nobody because I didn't have a relationship. That was the kind of pressure that was being put on us in secondary school. And all of a sudden, you must have a boyfriend. That's where your value <laughs> truly lies. And that's what we believed for the longest time. That you must have you know, you must have something like that. So we believed. That's how all of us, you know, saw those things, right? So you have to ask yourself, is there anything? Is there anything? Is there anything? <laughs> Maybe it's your music collection, right? Maybe it's the kind of school you're going to. I'm going to Harvard. So because of Harvard, you know, your value comes from Harvard. I'm a Harvard graduate, right? I'm a first-class student, okay? I'm a whatever, <laughs> whatever. Your life is not supposed to consist in the word abundance of things that you possess. Are you seeing that? Yes, it's not supposed to consist, consist in that. Right? Because let me say this, the moment that thing that you're holding on to, you are no longer the king in that area. Okay? For example, back in those days, I used to draw. I still draw. Amen. <laughs> That's one side of me that people don't know. But I, I draw. I can draw. I'm an artist. I studied art in school. Right, and as a teenager in secondary school, I remember that I mean I was the best art student in my secondary school, and that's what people knew me for. Oh, the artist, the artist, and I used to feel so good because people called me an artist. I was the best artist, you know. But then you just find out that the moment you see someone that can do better than you, that can draw better than you, that is more whatever, you, your heart starts to palpitate. <laughs> you start to feel this pressure come on you. You start to you get like you just begin to, you know, behave one kind pressure all of a sudden to perform to be better to practice and let me say this is actually what drives a lot of people a lot of people why is it so important that you have that car you some people already have it in a, a cool car maybe one but they, you want to get a better one why many people it's not really it's not because of a functional reason okay i, I want better car because it's more comfortable more durable and all those things no it's because the neighbor you see the neighbor <laughs> has a car and or a better car and so what will it now look like me driving this older car 
it should not be as if God is not blessing me. It be as if I can whatever, 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 whatever. And then you try to hustle so you can get a better car. That's why some people make very stupid decisions, which is you have a family, you have a, you, good money enters your hand, you go and carry. I heard of a story of, I think it was a friend of mine telling me about how someone, young lady, got a contract, right? Some contract in, in the Lekki areas or whatever, interior decor and something like that. I made maybe 20M, carried like 17M to go and look for. Was it? No, maybe 50M or so. But carried a bulk of that money to go and buy a Range Rover. Range Rover Sports. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, some people I don't, I, I don't need help. Some people really, really need help. You get that. I just said in the second, is the second or third verse of that whole uh, thing. But let's, let's just see if we can finish up in like <laughs> a few minutes. He says, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. So this is somebody that made had a lot of money already, very rich. Then made a whole lot more money. So in today's terms, you're probably looking at someone that maybe like a Dangote that had maybe, maybe six, ten billion dollars in his account. And then maybe he invested in Bitcoin or whatever and his money exploded. He had an extra 40 billion and he's like, what would I do with this? I said, hmm, wow, I have to maybe spread my assets, maybe even build a bank, just keep all my money there and all that stuff. And it says, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have had, you have many goods laid off for many years. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then which or whose will those things be which you have provided? So I want you to take note of the attitude of the rich man. The rich man lived his life in extreme luxury, which is not bad. Luxury is not bad. But you see, his heart was the problem. He lived his life as if what he had, right, was or this life, the reason for being in this life was to amass things. His life consisted in the abundance of what he possessed. That was what his life was about. Because uh, why do we know that? Because... It's what God said. God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So it was a question of, okay, you've lived for these things. Now I'm going to take you out of this world. Then what's going to happen to the things that you, you provided? Because you lived your life as if life was about these things and that there was no afterlife. You lived your life as if it ends here, we die here. You lived your, your life like the, the, the pharaohs who in their burials or their burials, they had to, they carried a lot of gold and coins and slaves. They killed a lot of people and did all that. Just the idea was that we're going to carry all these things into the afterlife, which is just pure, pure rubbish. There are many tomb raiders who have robbed their, their graves and taken all those things away from them. But the idea was that, oh, in the afterlife, all these things, they buried their treasures with them. That The idea is that all of those things will follow them into the afterlife, Right? So they live their life for things. They live their lives for monuments. They live their lives for possessions. They live their lives for status. That's what this man was living his life for. So he lived, he was very prosperous, made his money, did everything. But he was just, you know, you could just say, as I say, so you have many goods laid off for many years. He was only just thinking about enjoyment in this life. So God said, you're so required of you, verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not what? Rich towards God. 
So is he who what lays up treasure for himself and is not what rich towards God. He was laying up treasures for himself, but there was no eternal investment. There was no, um, you know, there was no consideration of God. There was no, there was no, how will I put it? <laughs> it was just about himself, right? What he could get in this life, you know, there's this statement that says, get all you can, can all you get and sit on it. And such people, you always see an expression of selfishness, right? He just gathered those things. He made much more. There was no thought of people or, you know, because let me even say this. One of the ways you will actually know you are free of things is your ability to give them away. Yes. One way you know that you are free from the hold of money is your ability to give it away. Do you remember that man that came to Jesus and the man said, ah, you know, what was I do to inherit the entire life? And just told him, it's fine. He was a rich young girl and just told him, sell all you have. And give to the poor. Then you have treasure in heaven. Then follow him. Follow me. And the Bible says the man went away very sad because he had great possessions. And that was the issue with the man. You see, money was his god. Money was his idol. Status was his idol. That's why he could not part with those things. Anything you have in this life that you cannot give up for God, including family, right? Yes. And how how do I mean family? I mean, God tells you leave them, go, or or this is the work I've called you to do, and everything. And and. And it's going to impact the family or something like that. If you cannot let go of family, or let me let me put it better. If your priority is not God, then there's a problem. This rich man, his priority was not God. You see that? He was only thinking about how he could get more and get more and get more and get more. It's like people that you see in government, they get into government and some of them steal literal billions of naira, billions. In fact, I think some of them probably have hit a billion dollars in what they've stolen stolen so much and you think okay this should be okay for this person this guy should just retire you've stolen that much okay just go in peace for we I know they will run for the next term because they must get more because it's an insatiable lust because for them my life is about or my value comes from the things I own okay so they have to keep on getting more to have more value or to sustain the value they think that they should have so if they don't have things they are nothing so therefore get more things have more value you get the logic yeah so they do so it's really something to think about because i'll say that this is also a primary reason why why many christians we have over two billion christians in the world yeah the great great commission is not going anywhere has not gone anywhere in fact it's only maybe about two percent of the church worldwide that is actually participating maybe one percent participating in the great commission assignment why because the rest of the church to them, actually, church is just a means to an end. It's a means to get something. It's a means to buy a car, buy a house. It means to a breakthrough. They've not sat down to um, really assess their lives. And many times, it's a result of poor teaching anyway because they have not been taught by their pastors in some cases that your life is not about things. Your life is about Christ. Paul summarized it beautifully. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Finish. Why am I alive? It's Christ. In other words, Christ becomes a priority. Not that God doesn't want to have things, but then are those things above God in my priority list or is God above those things? And the way we say to live for Christ, I've explained it before, that to live for Christ is to live for the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, He died for us that hence for they who live who should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again. Now to live for him, he now explains all things of God who has reconciled the world to himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? How be that God was in Christ just reconciling the world to himself and not com- not imputing the trespasses to them and has committed to the- us the message of reconciliation. You see that? 
So, in other words, the way we live for God is to live for the gospel. There is not nothing. If you are not, if you say you live for God, is you live for the gospel. You live for preaching it. You live for teaching it. You live for helping the local church grow. You live for making disciples. You live for working in love. Are you seeing that? You live for missions. That is actually what it means to live for God. Anything outside that is not living for God. You see that? Yeah. So, people, it is when you are free of things, free of natural things, free of status, free of all these I must. I must get married, I must hammer, I must, I must, I must. You understand? Because the Bible also says godliness with contentment is great gain. You can be content. In other words, where, where you are, you're not, many people say, okay, I will serve God. They will say, this is their logic. I will, let me pursue that career ambition. Let me make all that money, then I'll serve God. No, you are putting money above God. You are putting riches above God. Many people, they get married and after that, their effectiveness with God just dies. You put your family above God. You understand? There are people that say, I'm studying medicine, I'm studying this, I'm studying that. And based on that, I cannot really serve God properly. You should have known that before you went to study the medicine that it was going to be a very tedious course. People probably told you, you still said, I would do it. And then you go into school because of your medicine, you are not following the Lord. And you think that God understands. I know God must understand. I'm doing medicine. I'm doing this tedious course. Nobody sent you a message to do that tedious course. You chose it by yourself. In many cases, unless your parents did it actually. But you chose it. Even if your parents did choose it for you, you have a choice in the matter. You have a say in the matter. You could decide and say, no, I will make time. Because you see, we make time for what is important to us. That's what. That's the rule. You make time for what's important to you. You will make time to preach the gospel. You will make time to raise disciples. You will make time for your church meeting or your fellowship meeting or your cell meeting. You will make time because it's important to you. Anything that is in your life that is taking up your the time you should have it for God and you keep on making excuses for it, that thing has become an idol. That thing has become your God. God is no longer the priority. So it's better not to deceive yourself. You see, I like putting it the way it is. Don't deceive yourself. And number two, don't also take condemnation for what I'm saying. Just be better. <laughs> Make the decision. Some people, they just hide behind condemnation. I feel condemned. I feel condemned. I feel condemned. And all that. You go and sleep again and do the same thing you've been doing. No. Build yourself up, okay? All right, guys. That's it for today. I believe that this has blessed you. Why don't you share it with someone and let it bless them also, all right? Have a wonderful day. God bless you and bye-bye. If this blessed you, or you want to say hi, or you have a question, you can head over to my Instagram at pst.essien, pst.essien. Also, if you've been blessed and you'd love to support what we do here at MOG Podcast, then you can give to 0106-207-685. I'll say that again, 0106-207-685-GT Bank. God bless you.